Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with in-depth stories and information with the ultimate goal of helping weatherproof your life through all the kinds of uh, information that we give you with our experts from AccuWeather and around the world. We also like to tell stories, commemorate special people, and make sure that you know what you need to do to get ready for this upcoming weekend and week ahead weather-wise. And we're going to do all of that here on the 12th episode of our winter series. We divide up our podcast into series of episodes based on the season and how to get through it. And a lot of us are finally uh, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel from a really tough few weeks of winter, including that amazing Arctic blast that went all the way down into Texas and Mexico. We're going to talk about that in a couple of aspects here uh, in our second segment with folks from Batteries Plus, because I think with all the power outages, water disruptions and everything that was going on that we saw from that amazing once in a lifetime weather event, we got to be ready for the next one because it's just around the corner, something uh, severe. So when it comes to batteries and preparedness, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We'll also talk to senior meteorologist Dave Dombeck when we get into our final segment. He'll kind of recap that amazing winter blast, the amazing turnaround we've seen with uh, almost 100 degree differences between real fuel temperatures in some of these places over a week last week in the middle of the country and take a look at beyond here as we ease out of winter and head towards spring but up first today in our opening race of focus segment i want to uh, pick up where we left off last week with that amazing conversation with alan seals as we commemorated black history month here on this last weekend of february and the last weekend of Black History Month, I want to tell another amazing story about a national treasure. His name is Shelton Johnson. That story and everything else is coming up because, friends, it's time to talk about everything under the sun. Some have called him our nation's greatest park ranger. He certainly is a national treasure, educating us about some of the national treasures that our amazing national park system in this country contains. But Shelton Johnson has been more than that. He's been amazing crowds for decades with his ability to teach us not only about the amazing natural wonders, like I said, that the parks contain, but also to help teach us things that we may not know and how not to assume that we understand how things came to be or how groups or people got their names. So as February and Black History Month come to a close, we wanted to highlight a great piece that was Produced by our AccuWeather.com team and authored uh, on the website by Monica Danielle on Mr. Johnson and to talk about his work as a Yosemite Park Ranger where he has been teaching the story and history of what were called at the time Buffalo Soldiers, the early African-American soldiers who not only fought for our country in our nation's early wars, but also helped pave the way west and were the early keepers of the rules and safety 
of the areas set aside by our nation's leaders for rest, research, and enjoyment of our great outdoors here in this country. A few years back, PBS did a feature on Shelton Johnson, and I want you to hear an excerpt from it where Shelton is explaining the origin of that term, Buffalo Soldier. They call me a Buffalo Soldier, and I got that name because the Indians we were fighting in the Indian Wars, they saw the hair of these soldiers in the 9th Cavalry and the 10th Cavalry, and they saw that their hair was just like the hair between the horns of the buffalo. So they started calling them Buffalo Soldiers out of respect. You can hear from that just the, the way he can captivate with his voice and his delivery. So it is really a pleasure at this point to join with AccuWeather's Monica Danielle and welcoming to Everything Under the Sun, Mr. Shelton Johnson. I do want to start, Monica, this story really kind of spoke to you here as you were uh, looking at uh, doing a story for Black History Month, mainly because of all the things that Shelton has done, not only for the black community, but also for our country in terms of creating an opportunity for us to learn history and also to pragmatically put into production here the the blueprint for how we should look at things going forward in terms of diversity and inclusion and that is not only about whether or not we're going to uh, have a better economy but it's also about having a better world and part of a better world is uh, great opportunities to get out and enjoy uh, the great outdoors and that's what our national park system does and so i know monica you were extremely excited to, to do this story and and uh, excited to talk to shelton again here today the thing about shelton and the work he's doing there, there's so many different angles to it and and the way that his life sort of parallels the lives of the buffalo soldiers that he he has brought to life almost single-handedly he'll, he'll tell you some other names i'm sure but it, it's just incredible and to me personally as, as a white person, sometimes in, in the culture right now, you don't know what you don't know. And that can be really alarming when you don't know the things that you don't know. And, and so what he's done by uncovering the men and their stories, it has just brought to light a whole other problem of, of diversity in national parks that as a white person, quite frankly, I just wouldn't think about. It, it, it didn't occur to me and I wasn't aware of it. And so the duality of his work um, along the lines of uncovering this hidden history, as well as pushing and promoting diversity and inclusion in national parks was just incredible for me to learn about. Now, I'm sure, Shelton, that, that sometimes when people heap praise on you, that's hard to hear as somebody who's doing this out of really just who they are. Right. You, there was no nobody came to you and said, Shelton Johnson, this is what I want you to do. This is kind of something as I've read and I've seen the stories that, that you kind of figured out for yourself. And so. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm sure let, let's let's talk about the honor of that, but also just kind of the, the how this got started for you a little bit uh, and how it got rolling. Well, you know, I, I took this on and I didn't know what I was taking on at the time I took it on. I I was working in Yellowstone National Park. It was my first summer. I was a concession employee and I happened to run into this young African-American woman when she first saw. Yellowstone, first experienced Yellowstone. She was, as the phrase goes, in awe of everything that she could see, everything she could hear, and everything that she was feeling about the world around her. But there was something else that she noticed that I had noticed, but I never heard it expressed or communicated by another person. 
And she kept going on and on and saying, where are all the black people? Where are the black people at? She had this disconnect, this discontinuity between the wonder, the literal wonder that she was experiencing in Yellowstone National Park. And she, she could hear and see visitors from all over the world, all around her, but she could see, also could not see <laughs> any African-Americans. And I knew that because I had already been there, but having it echoed by someone else, it just really brought it home. And so it's always been there well before I arrived in Yosemite National Park. I've just seen this disconnect between the African-American community and our national parks. I guess the irony is that there was a big part of uh, history going back to uh, when the parks were starting in terms of African-Americans being part. And this is what you uncovered uh, in the in the Yosemite story. And so this is where the, the things that you started to talk about and, and, and really started to learn about came to fruition. And, and that's where we uh, really started to get to know Shelton, right? Uh, in terms of you and, and these performances and this and this unearthing of the history and the telling of the story of these uh, folks out in Yosemite. You know, essentially, I'm, I'm engaged in sort of archaeology. I'm not looking at the remains of something that's in the ground. I'm looking at the remains of something that's somewhere in our consciousness that we have intentionally or unintentionally chosen to not see, not hear, and not connect with. I inherited this legacy from a ranger by the name of Althea Roberson, who inherited it from a ranger by the name of Kenneth Noel. And all I did was take a story that was there was this imbalance between the, the the import of what they accomplished and the awareness of what they did. And I wanted to reconcile that. And so when I found out that these soldiers built the first trail to the top of Mount Whitney in Sequoia National Park in 1903, these soldiers built what is considered to be the first museum in what has become the national park system, an arboretum on the South Fork of the Merced here in Yosemite National Park, and uh, that they also built the first usable wagon road into Sequoia's giant forest, which is the most famous grove of giant sequoia in the world, which contains the largest tree on earth. They did all of those things and they were forgotten. And it's because of that lens of race that rendered them invisible. They weren't invisible, they were right there. But, but that's how race plays. That's how race enacts a power to actually obscure and hide what is right there easily seen and what is right there easily to be heard. So that's basically been my work is to build on the work of others to make certain that what has been unseen is visible. What has been inaudible is actually heard by all, especially, particularly the African-American community, which is one of the reasons why I reached out to Oprah Winfrey to give that announcement, give that invitation uh, to the African-American community to claim their inheritance in our national parks. As an overview, the Buffalo Soldiers, some of us kind of know that story, but others don't. Uh, they go back uh, to the time in this country when, uh, you know, most of them came from the Deep South. I know how you do this, Shelton, I believe, is you you actually assume the characters, right? And you, and you kind of talk and and perform it as as those men and women would have been in the in the day and the, those men would have been in the day. So um, I think I saw, is it Elise Bowman? Elise Bowman. And Elise Bowman did actually exist. And I basically just take on this persona to communicate the story. In the first person, because pronouns are important. And when, when you say something from the point of view of this is what happened to me, it has a power to it 
that it does not or might not have if you're saying this is what happened to them, especially if you're talking about race. And particularly if the audience is mostly Euro-American, it makes people uncomfortable. And as a result, I've learned to become comfortable with my own discomfort and the discomfort of others because I'm talking about things that people really don't want to hear. And I've actually created a, a, a show, a play uh, that basically delves into this, uh, this history. And it's really a history that makes people uncomfortable. So I liken it to this. What I do is I dance. I'm dancing in a minefield. Race is a minefield. And when you walk through that minefield and you are not cautious, you are not cognizant, you can make the slightest misstep can result in an explosion. And so what I do is, is look like it's easy. I walk and I dance and I'm playing in that minefield, but it's, a, but it's race. And, and whenever there's a discussion about race, it, you're really walking through a minefield and you have no idea when there's going to be a boom. Um, right. But it can also be fun as well. And that's the challenge to it. I think it can also be fun and it can be challenging, but it also for both sides. Right. I mean, you have that fear from your side as the person telling the story. And, you know, I think as Monica brought up as, as a white person, sometimes we we don't know what we don't know. And it's almost a fear to ask questions to try to get that information out because I, I would be judged that I don't know that. So that's another kind of landmine mm -hmm. that you have to kind of adjust in this when you're when you're imparting the information. Correct. That's absolutely correct. But what I've learned is, is that I don't really have the excuse of being fearful when I'm telling the story of men whose lives literally were at risk every single day, I mean, these soldiers were veterans of the Philippine insurrection, the Philippine-American War. They had been in combat. So if they could engage in that scenario of risking their lives for their country, even though they were not recognized by their country in terms of the fullness of their humanity, then I, at the very least, can risk making a mistake, can risk collapsing on stage and, and fear. And I thought, well, no, I can be brave for them because they were brave for their descendants. They were brave for me. And so I do that, but I do it in a very non-confrontational way because even though I'm a soldier, I'm fully aware that assertiveness with, from an African-American to an audience of mostly Euro-Americans can be misperceived as not being assertive, but being kind of an affrontery of sorts. So it's a it's it's a dance really more than anything else. It's like a it's like I'm Fred Astaire just dance. Okay, I'm like Michael Jackson, <laughs> you know, dancing there, and I'm making it look easy. I'm making it sound easy. And when I see that people are getting uncomfortable, I inject some humor into it because humor is a universal, and it could actually make an uncomfortable situation comfortable. So I make I I, I make people comfortable with their own discomfort so that they can hear the truth of what it is that I have to say. I, I've watched, I urge everyone to, to check out Shelton as Elise Bowman because it's fantastic and his way with words and people uh, is incredible. But I wanted to note that the Buffalo soldiers, a lot of them fought, African-Americans have fought in every war uh, America's had from the Revolutionary War. And so these soldiers, a lot of them fought in the Civil War. But when they, when they started creating the Buffalo soldiers, it was, correct me if I'm wrong, Shelton, it was like 1866. And this was a time mm -hmm. when reconstruction was happening and it right. was not a great time. It was a very, you had groups like the Ku Klux Klan being created. And so some of these soldiers would weigh like, okay, I, I could be, and he talks about this in character as a lazy where, you know, I can stay at home and be shot and it would be very personal, or I can go risk my life on the plains in, in the native American wars. 
And these hundreds of young men, a lot of them just 19 to 20 years old, chose, I mean, the weather conditions on the plains uh, hmm. and, and during this time were absolutely horrific. And if they didn't die from the weather, they were killed by Native Americans in the ongoing battles with that. But they would rather choose that than stay at home during Reconstruction in the Deep South. And so he embodies this soldier that, that made this choice. Um, and and it's, it's a really beautiful thing to, to watch and, and you should check it out. But that's the time when the Buffalo Soldiers were created was right after the Civil War in this really racial tension and, and all kinds of things. And, and that a lot of that is what urged them to, to go West. Right. I, I think that those of us here in 2021 think that, OK, the Emancipation Proclamation was issued and everything got better. Right. And, and that's not the case. And this is this story is a real illustration of the kind of um, uh, the slow movement we've had to and when we're still not. To, it seems like full acceptance, but uh, it was part of that story. And so uh, it's been an important kind of way for us to be educated on that things don't just get improved right at the at the very moment. Right, Shelton? Yeah. And the thing to keep in mind, the Emancipation Proclamation was only valid in states that were in active rebellion against the Union. So like South Carolina, where my dad is from, was an active rebellion against the Union. So so January 1st, 1863 was just a date. Uh, enslaved Africans were free, but unless there was a Union soldier there to enforce that freedom, they were still enslaved. And then the states that were loyal to the Union, like Maryland, Missouri, uh, for example, those states, uh, slavery was allowed to continue because they right. stayed loyal to the Union. Uh, Kentucky is another one of those states. So what I'm saying is, is that uh, these laws that uh, you look at them, they seem to, to communicate that freedom had arrived those laws were all undercut. The 13th Amendment ended slavery. But if you were an African-American fleeing the South, heading towards the North, following the drinking gourd, also known as the Big Dipper, the North Star, and you stopped uh, in, a, in a town uh, just from exhaustion and you sat on a park bench, you could be picked up for vagrancy and put in a chain gang for the rest of your life. And then if you were tired from that journey and that didn't happen, and you thought, boy, it would be nice if I could spend a night in a hotel. You could be denied services at that hotel. You could be denied services at a restaurant. And so that's one of the reasons why so many African-Americans were going into the woods, literally going through the forest, going through rough country, because it was even rougher in terms of race to go through a town. But we're talking about one of the largest movements of people in history, African-Americans fleeing the South, subsequent after the Civil War, to, towards freedom. And everything that looked good on paper, 13th Amendment, freeing the enslaved people was undercut. 14th Amendment, granting African-American citizenship was undercut. You couldn't go to a restaurant. You couldn't go to a hotel. And the 15th Amendment, granting the right to vote. Well, it sounds good, but you needed to pass a literacy test, which was designed for you to fail. And even if you could pass a literacy test, there was outright intimidation right there uh, at the polling place to prevent you from voting. And there's echoes of that happening in, in our current time today. So, you know, in terms of keeping people somehow from, from exercising the right to vote. So this, so much of what is happening today is rooted in what happened yesterday. And yesterday has not passed. You know, the, as William Faulkner said, the past isn't dead. It isn't even past. So we're living in that. And the story is rooted in that. Well, uh, again, we certainly 
would encourage everybody to take a look at this story, especially the way Shelton tells it and uh, and go from there. In the remaining time that we have left here, Shelton, I did, I did want to touch on this idea that, um, you know, your view, some things in terms of, in, in my mind, have saved me during this pandemic, which is the ability to get outside and do some things. I personally play disc golf, so that's uh, uh, something that I I do. But I know that um, you know one of the things I think for people who have been trying to get through this pandemic is this ability to to use some of our natural resources, including uh, national parks. So, in some ways, it seems like there's been a, an increased uh, awareness of what's going on there. But then in COVID-19 in this pandemic in the last year or so, there's probably a lot of things that are not happening at the national parks that should be in terms of money and support and those things. So as as somebody who's uh, near and dear to the national park system and, and loves it so much, just some thoughts about where we are right now with the national parks and maybe where we're going in this time. Is there anything as those of us who enjoy the park system as much as we do can do to help uh, kind of keep that going here over the, the next few years. Back in the day, I mean, at the time when, when John Muir was alive, um, he spoke, he, he used this phrase, and the phrase was beauty hunger, that, that modern civilized people have this hunger for, for natural beauty. Uh, I think that the mountains are a curative. I think that they are medicinal. And I think that people in, intuitively recognize that there is something that is restorative when you are in the mountains, when you are in the desert, when you're out in nature, nature is in you. And when you are in that experience of, of, of listening, of seeing, of touching, of being felt by the earth itself, not just you feeling the earth around you, but the earth responding in kind, there's this, there's this uh, verisimilitude, this energy that a flow that goes back and forth and people respond to that. And so I think with the pandemic and what's happening now, it's beyond beauty hunger, it's beauty medicine. Mm -hmm. And people are realizing that they can get away by going back, going within. We are primates. We forget that. We're we're homo sapiens, wise man. Well, we haven't lived up to the sapiens part. (laughs) You know, we need to work on that. But we are primates. And so it is unnatural for human beings to not have some kind of connection to the earth. So when we go to in the national parks, we res, we restore that connection, and I think that's an incredibly powerful, profound moment, especially when children have that experience when they're when they're young. And that's what drives my work. It's not mm-hmm. so much getting African Americans specifically to visit the parks; it's getting kids, it's getting African American kids who are least likely to have that experience of wonder, that experience of enchantment. And their kids are buried and reading Harry Potter books. Harry Potter books are great. But magic exists. Magic is real. And when you're at the Grand Canyon, we're in Yellowstone National Park and you're watching Old Faithful erupt. You you don't need to be told that there are great wonders in this world. They're right there. And most of the Star Wars films were filmed in national parks. parks, So the wonder is already there and it belongs to everyone. I was going to say, I go back. I still remember on our uh, trip when I was five years old, that uh, drive across the country, see grandparents, that uh, trip to Old Faithful. And that first time you just saw it erupt. And, you know, that that's something that'll live with me forever. Uh, Monica, anything else you would like to add? Uh, I mean, this man is a national treasure and thank Thank goodness for him and giving us these uh, amazing lessons that uh, we can learn from here in this time. 
he's ignited a whole passion in me for, I want to buy an RV and, and hit the road with my kids this summer. I, I want to see the parks as many as I can. I, I think a lot of people don't even realize what national parks are and how amazing it is that we've set aside this place of wilderness for everyone to enjoy and, and what national park rangers do and the, what the Buffalo soldiers did, uh, protecting protecting the wilderness from timber thieves or poachers. And and it's there for all of us to enjoy. And, and I just have a newfound uh, respect or, or for park rangers. I just didn't even realize what it was all about. And he's just, he's so eloquently brought it home for me that I'm just hooked. Well, Shelton, is there anything you'd like to add as we wrap up here today? I really appreciate your service to our country in this, uh, not only just the day-to-day operation of being a park ranger, but certainly the educational aspect of it too. Thank you so much. Anything else you'd like to say today? I think it's important to communicate to working families. You know, I come from a blue collar working family. My grandfather worked for the Ford Motor Company on an assembly line for 40 years, and he never visited a national park. And these places have a way of waking us up and reminding us of the things that are really important and the connections that have been there since before we were even born. And I think it's a it's a powerful thing when you have a kid and you see, and that kid is witnessing the eruption of a geyser or that kid is standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and realizing that there is something in this world that is much greater than all of us. Those are very powerful, profound transformations that take place in us. And it's the birthright of all Americans. And so all Americans should be able to have that experience. What I'm saying is childhoods should be a time of enchantment. Growing up in the inner city of Detroit, I didn't have that sense of enchantment, but I had memories of being with my mom and my dad when he was stationed in Germany and visiting Berchtesgaden National Park and being in the mountains. The mountains are rising up, but what was really uplifted was my own spirit. And that's what we can gain by being in these environments, a lifting of spirit. And we are there in the presence of something that is greater than all of us. I would certainly invite you to check out the story that Monica authored. It's called The Hidden History of Buffalo Soldiers on AccuWeather.com. I found it most easily by just typing in AccuWeather and Shelton, S-H-E-L-T-O-N, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N. Uh, If you do that, again, you'll come up with the hidden history of Buffalo Soldiers. And then there's other great resource links in there as well to tell the story of Shelton. And thanks again to Monica for joining us. When we come back, we're going to switch gears. Amazing winter weather of the last couple of weeks have sent many people scrambling because they were without power. And it was not a good thing. And we've got friends from Batteries Plus joining us coming up in our next segment. Talk about some strategies and things you can think of, not only as we come out of winter, but get ready for what could be a long, hot summer in places. We'll talk about that coming up next on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather. Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore, and as we've been uh, telling you, the last several weeks have been an amazing uh, couple of weeks with the winter weather and that Arctic blast that uh, really is still crippling folks in Texas. As this podcast drops, there are still... A few million people that are having water disruptions, and certainly there were millions without power 
for several days and continue to have some people without power because of that. And certainly that kind of weather event, uh, an unprecedented event in many ways, or a, a once in a lifetime event for folks in Texas makes us always think about being better prepared to handle life. And especially when mother nature throws curveballs at us that we're not expecting. And one of the areas that uh, certainly has become more into focus is always having that ability to be backed up with power and making sure that we're taking care of all the batteries and all the things that we have batteries in. And joining us today from Batteries Plus are two folks who uh, know everything about that. Sarah Lambert is Director of Product Management and Curtis Hill, Vice President of Market and Business Development. And they join us from Batteries Plus. So, Sarah and Curtis, welcome. I think one of the situations that uh, we all have been thinking about the last couple of weeks is uh, we always have to be prepared because life can throw a lot of different things very quickly at us especially from the weather and, and especially with power and batteries. And we're so reliant on that flow of information and getting into our house and uh, our house. It's not like the old days where you can, people just have a fireplace to kind of go back to in situations to keep their house warm. So all kinds of things that we have to be thinking about. So um, I, I think one of the big things right now is communication to me, the inability for us to communicate when we don't have power. And it's some things that we don't think about, right? Um, you know, it was in the old day that even though you lost your power, you could still pick up the phone and the way this phone system worked. You usually had a line if the whole phone system wasn't out because it had its own power source, but that's not the case anymore. So give us some things to think about here as we plan ahead for the next natural disaster that could knock us uh, back in terms of power and things. You're actually spot on. Um, we're, we're all addicted to our phones and our tablets, and we need to have communication with our friends, family, and loved ones, or be able to look up information in a time of crisis. And we see many customers coming into our store in these times of peril, looking for solutions. So there's a couple practical things customers can do to ease that situation or be better prepared. Number one, a lot of people don't realize that you can get your cell phone battery replaced. And after a couple years, most people notice that you have to charge your phone more often. And if you're in a crisis situation or you're without power, you certainly don't want a battery that's only going to last half the day. And if you're using it a lot, it's going to last even less. So Batteries Plus offers um, the service. You can bring your phone in super quick. They can open it up and put a brand new battery in there. And your your phone battery life will be just like new. One thing that I've been noticing, and, and I don't know that the cell phone companies, the, the manufacturers want to admit this, but their technology gets better and better so that some of these handsets are lasting longer and longer. And you're right, it's many times where it's the recharging of the battery over and over again that the battery's weak, but the actual set after two or three years is still really good with the new technology and the new programming they do every year. So you're right. I think that's something more and more that's becoming, you know, we didn't talk about that. We It was forbidden to do that before, right? It seemed you always had to buy the next, the next new one, but that doesn't seem to be the case as much. 
Yeah, absolutely. And in these emergency situations, that's the time when you notice it the most and you need that battery to last you longer. I mean, that's the number one thing that we want to do is reach out to friends, families, neighbors to, you know, check on everybody and, and communicate. And, you know, if your your battery is running low quickly and you don't have that power source, that can become a challenge very quickly. And so the other area that we see um, you know, a lot of customers come in for is our power banks. Right. And those would be areas where we could set up little stations that uh, in case of uh, losing power, that we could always make sure that we could be recharging or powered back up if we need to be. Yeah, we have um, some power banks. They're portable. They're like smaller than the size of a book um, and they're high power. So you can ch- charge a cell phone three to four times off of one power bank charge. So most families don't have just one cell phone. You want to make sure you're getting something or a few power banks to keep your family up and running. So uh, again, too, as we think about this, it's now not only is your your phone a computer, but really a lot of your accessories and your things that you use to live and, and, and actually be healthy are almost like mini computers now. So that increases the need for power and to consistent power and backup power, you know, um, CPAP machine, right? I mean, uh, that uh, I'm sure how many people in Texas that were without power did not sleep well because of everything that was going on, but then they don't have their CPAP machine and that kind of thing. So, I mean, we need to think more about it, just not only our phones and communication, but everyday things that are helping us not only get through life with a little bit of ease, but are necessary to get through life in a healthy way too. Oh, absolutely. And we we track the weather pretty closely. And, you know, this is this last, you know, event that we had in Texas was a good example. You know, we saw our, you know, demand for sealed lead acid batteries go up 500% over that three days where they were really hit hard. And it was because of those things that you talked about and everything that, you know, we have in our house that require power, whether that was refrigerators or emergency sump pumps. And, you know, that was, I was actually reading customer reviews yesterday and you hit the nail on the head. It was a, a CPAP machine. The woman came in and said, I haven't been able to sleep in 48 hours. And you guys connected me with a, you know, a backup power system that I was able to get the best night of sleep that I've had. Those are always the good stories that uh, you point to for sure. Um what about, I mean, when, when bat, most people think of a battery store, they think of their car battery. Um, and, you know, honestly, I, I can remember as a youth, that would seem to be much more of an issue of my father having to worry about that a little bit more than today. Um, but it's still something, again, and especially in the colder weather, that's when you find out that your battery wasn't very strong, right? And when these temperatures hit, you know, five, six, eight, ten 10 below on their own and 20, 30, 40 below real chills, you, you, you really need to plan ahead and make sure you know what you have with the battery that you have and plan ahead for maybe getting it replaced so you don't have that problem being stuck. You're so right. And times have changed. Fortunately, we have a couple of things we would recommend that customers do just to protect themselves from the surprise of a battery dying. No one enjoys being stuck by the side of the road, right? So at Batteries Plus, we do offer free testing. They'll test your um, alternator and your battery for free. And I'd say go in every six months, especially if your battery is a couple years old. Just get that kind of health check, make sure it's okay. 
And the Batteries Plus Trusted Advisor will let you know if it's on the downslope and if they recommend a proactive replacement so you don't get stuck. We also have some cool things too. Um, you know, a lot of customers are keeping a lithium jump pack in their car. Basically, mm. it's just a little portable jump starter, super easy to use. Then you don't have to deal with finding somebody else to hook up to. You can restart your car and then go get that battery changed out. So that's something that's easy to teach, you know, because I know some uh, uh, some people are reticent to try to do. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've been walking in a, in a parking lot and some and I see someone come up. Yeah, I, I have jumper cables, but I just don't know how to do it. So it's it's something that's easy to learn how to do. Yeah, uh, these jump jump packs today come with really thorough, easy instructions or um, they even have a user interface that guides you through the steps. So if I can do it, I think any customer can do it. Well, you know, the other piece of that, you know, uh, recently, uh, it was September, um, was out in Denver visiting stores and, you know, picked the worst week in September to go because they had kind of a freak snowstorm. And so we showed up to the store and our store manager wasn't there and he was actually out on the road uh, nearby helping uh, a customer push his car into the parking lot. And obviously we're, we're glad and, and able to provide that service, but you know, these types of portable jump packs are actually a safer option. And so that you don't, you don't have to be out there in traffic. You don't need to find another car and really is, is much more convenient and safer for a customer. Well, Sarah and Curtis, so uh, we're looking at all these things and, and we're talking, we've been talking about some of the examples from this recent cold blast, but here we are, we're about ready to enter into, uh, into spring and it won't be long when we're talking about heat. And so those are the same kinds of things, uh, power outages, rolling blackouts because of excessive heat. That's something we may be facing again in places in the country. So, you know, while we're, we're talking about lessons that we learned in the cold snap, we got to get ready for uh, adverse weather, severe weather season in the uh, southeast, especially in the uh, tornado alley there. So there's all kinds of hazards to come up, all kinds of things to do to be prepared. How can we get in touch with our uh, local Batteries Plus folks? We have over 700 locations throughout the United States. So most of your listeners will live pretty close to a Batteries Plus. Go to our website, batteriesplus.com, look up your um, local store, and talk to our trusted advisors about how to get prepared. Pick up some alkaline batteries, some flashlights, come in and get your car battery tested. If you've got an older phone, maybe have them take a look at that too, and just, you know, take every take every precaution you can to be prepared for that disaster because you never know when it's going to happen. Sarah Lambert, Director of Product Management and Curtis Hill, Vice President of Marketing and Business Development from Batteries Plus. Thanks for joining us here on Everything Under the Sun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up next on Everything Under the Sun, Senior Meteorologist Dave Dombeck joins me and we'll talk about what has been an amazing and incredible stretch of winter weather and this uh, really remarkable turnaround we've seen in many places with warmer weather pushing northward over the last week. And we'll take a look at the upcoming weekend and the week ahead. That's up next on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. As we uh, end the month of February, get ready to end meteorological winter, although... Uh, 
astronomical winter still has a few more weeks to go with the equinox coming on March 20th. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore joined by senior meteorologist Dave Dombeck. And uh, I think we're all, Dave, uh, looking at this last several weeks and wondering how we got through that. Because, I mean, honestly, we have had busy stretches. I mean, I've been with AccuWeather for 23 years, and there always seems to be this stretch of time. We had it, you know, I remember around Katrina and all those hurricanes, there was a stretch where there was just multiple ones. We've had that. But this last stretch of weather, was it was really challenging, especially because of the way it was so warm in a lot of these places, the first two thirds of the winter, and then it flipped like a, like a dime. And that cold was incredible. Looking back at some of those temperatures that plunged all the way down from the, uh, from Siberia down all the way to, uh, to Mexico, it got really cold. Oh yeah. That was, that was just an unbelievable stretch and maybe something certainly for folks down in Texas and the other Gulf coast, uh, uh, areas there and deep and way down into the south like that we may not see something like that again for you know another decade or two or more i mean that that was just unprecedented uh some of the the weather occurrences and it wasn't a one and done thing either that was the amazing thing that it was multiple events of snow and ice and and extreme cold and super you know de- departures they that are almost unheard of and also so late in the season. I mean, that yep. fr- that that kind of thing we normally associate with January. Right. That's more right. of a January event. That's not a mid to late February event, which is right. Or, where it occurred or maybe early February. Right. It is. It was pretty late in the game for that. But, yeah, it's like, wow, what a stretch. And uh, I think a lot of us will be saying uh, good riddance uh, to <laughs> to the month of February. It's like. We all felt like that, Dean, in, in, oh. the, in the, the, the the movie Animal House, that, yeah. that one scene. Thank you, sir. May I have another? It wasn't a fun parade, uh, that no. parade of storms. <laughs> I, I mean, and then just real, the other thing, I, sometimes when I try to explain the atmosphere and stuff to folks, I think about, you know, I try to tell them, think about a a pond of water, right? And so just think about that as a big bowling ball that 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 cold air was like a big bowling ball and it dropped like if you dropped it from over the lake it went straight down and then a lot of times in a lake when you do that you get ripple effects right yep. and so when we see that a lot of times we see that cold air expand that cold air didn't expand as much to the east i mean we got chilly and cold but the amazing thing was just how quickly that dropped. And then what we've seen this past week is these amazing turnarounds of 60, 70, 80, 90 degrees, 100 degrees when you took factor in real fuel um, right. and, and just how much and quickly that that Arctic air retreated. And I still think the the models and everything still scrambling to kind of catch up to where we are next in this pattern. Right. Yeah, exactly. And And, and with that extreme cold that went straight south, like you said, Dean, all the way down into the Gulf Coast region. But at the same time, you know, look at what happened in Florida, especially central South Florida and those in the, in the deep southeast. For the most part, they didn't get into that. And so you set up a, a tremendous battle zone between that um, normal to even warmer than normal air over over the deep southeast, particularly Florida. And the, the incredible cold on the other side of that. And that's why not only was it cold, but then we had multiple storms, multiple, one storm after another, after another, 
So you set up that battle zone. And that's why we we dealt with this just a tremendous stretch there of 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 storminess uh, during that period. Certainly, as now we head into now this next week, uh, that battle zone is there. It's a little farther north. And and but I think we want to caution folks that um, while we've relaxed the cold and, and it really relaxed fast. I mean, uh, the place has gone up in the, in the northeast in the low 60s yesterday of uh, 50s. And it's going to push back, though. And it looks like one of those pushes into the northeast is coming in this upcoming week, the first week of March. Um, and so it looks like folks in the Great Lakes kind of get a glancing blow. And then it looks like a little uh, more of an aim of some colder air to the interior Northeast and even New England here as we go middle of next week. So as nice as it's been and and, and it's tried to relax a little bit, winter's still not over, especially Northeast and Great Lakes here over the next several weeks. Yeah. And and, and honestly, that's that's par for the course. And that's that's very, very normal. Uh, for this time of the year, as you you know, end end out the month of February, head into March, you you got a tr- tremendous amount of cold air that's still available up north, up up over the frozen hinterlands, as our our friend Elliot Abrams used to call it, the uh, up up north there. But you got so much, you you got such a, a source region of cold air, and it doesn't take that long uh, and that much effort to bring it southward into the Great Lakes region, into the Northeast, and that does happen, but. Uh, fortunately, I was looking at one of the things, and of course, that's more of the long range, more of a Paul Pasolak type of thing, talking about the long range. But one of the index, um, one of the key indicators that we look at, one of them, one of many, is the North Atlantic Oscillation, the NAO, as we call it for short. And that's been positive. Uh, it's forecast to stay positive. And usually in a positive North Atlantic Oscillation situation, you get more of a progressive pattern. Where, where systems move along, they don't get blocked up and bottled up and slowed down and major um, deepening of storms off the East Coast. Usually you'll get storms, but they're frequent and they're they're transient and they keep going through in the flow quickly. And that's it seems like we're going to hold that pattern here into next week. The the only play the only thing that really shifts though, at least in the eastern side of the country, to me, is where those repeated rounds of precipitation will be, and then it looks like it shifts into the south, as we've been talking about, and we've had features on AccuWeather.com now, mm-hmm. and uh, so it looks like you know repeated rounds of these areas of low pressure that just kind of one forms and it kind of shoots up to the north and east, and then another one forms along it. So Texas, and then it kind of shifts a little farther south into the Gulf Coast, but you know, there could be some places there, uh, northern Louisiana, up through Arkansas and up into like the Tennessee Valley that could see some repeated rounds of some moderate to heavy rain. And maybe I think our storm max over the next several days in that area is maybe 12 inches of rain. And but I don't think that would be widespread. It looks pretty localized. Right. It is going to be a pretty uh, focused area there. But there certainly is a lot of juice uh, available and and repeated rounds of rain, they're, they're, they're going to have some issues down there with the heavy rain and some flooding uh, problems. Looks like a, a cold piece of energy coming into the Pacific Northwest as the weekend starts. Um, and then uh, looks like something tries to kick out, but uh, it looks like for the Northeast and the Great Lakes, it's more clipperish type stuff. So in other words, to me, it almost like we're getting into that split jet stream situation where there's a northern branch that's going to be throwing some clippers down through the Great Lakes and into the Northeast. And then the southern piece is throwing out those little disturbances that are uh, running up through the Southeast and into the Mid-Atlantic. And so that's kind of our pattern here for about a week or so. 
Right. And I think for, you know, the, the, the two systems that we're going to deal with in the Northeast over the weekend, it's kind of one of those hybrid situations where if it were a, a purely northern branch uh, system or systems that we would be dealing with, they'd be very dry. There wouldn't be much going on with them at all. It would not, it would, they'd be a moisture starved. But the fact that they're almost coming, they're coming along in tandem with each other, um, there's a little bit of a handoff of that that real juicy air from the southern branch. And that's why you're able to get these pulses of precip where they're mostly rain. There's going to be some some mixed, uh, some snow and some front end issues, with, especially with that first one over the higher elevations, over the mountains and so forth, north and west of the I-95 corridor. Um, but there's like that handoff of moisture. And then that goes by. And then there's another, the one that comes the second half of the weekend, very similar setup. You got a northern branch, weak, moisture-starved uh, system. And then you got the southern branch system that comes along in tandem and it hands off some of that moisture uh, for a time. Uh, and that's why I think that we're kind of thinking like the first one, the pulse, what, quarter, third of an inch? Right. Uh, a lot of places like right. Philly, the early part of the week. And then the second half might be a little bit more strong as you get in a little, a little more, more rainy up into the northeast as you get into the Sunday, Monday, early Monday piece. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So, well, uh, I'll tell you what, um, Dave's also a, a buddy that we talk about not only professionally and on the podcast, but behind the scenes about our gardening. And it was amazing to me just looking out, you know, I was so, I told people how excited I was to be able to actually be doing some gardening stuff. I was doing edging and stuff all the way up until we flipped it there in <laughs> mid January. But I just looked out the other day and right around my, my beds, I've got a lot of bare ground again, Dave, that, that snow's melting pretty fast. That's good stuff, right? You're going to see the crocuses start popping up Ugh. before long. There's, there's no, that's the thing. There's no denying that sun. I used to, you know, a friend of mine, he, I would always tell him, and you know, from about late November, you know, Thanksgiving time through December, early, early, uh, early February, early January. I said, Hey, you know, his name is Jerry. I said, Jerry, the, the sun doesn't do squat this time of the year. But yeah. I said, you know, the sun is doing a lot more than squat now. And, and in fact, we are equivalent now, but heading into this weekend, we're equivalent to a, a mid-October sun. I'm not saying that a, a mid-October right. sun is strong, but it's a heck of a lot better than a January 1st sun or a you know December 15th. So it's it's starting to make itself felt. I felt it yesterday, Dave, uh, when I got out of a, a, a doctor's appointment. It was about three o'clock, and I got into my car, and you know it's pretty chilly outside and I walk and it's like I'm thinking I'm feeling like it's a summer day in my car because it's so warm because mm -hmm. of the sun on the stuff so yeah it's definitely and and Joel made that point last week when we talked about you know again yep. that solar energy now really ramping up by uh, exponential factor you know not just uh, because you know not just it's not just a steady ascent it's just an increase it's, an exponential increase in intensity and stuff here for the next few days so those are kind yeah, of yeah cool in fact things. yeah good good point dean because i if you looked at let's just say the latitude of, of pennsylvania for example um you're gaining between two and a half and three minutes of daylight a day now that's every day and you do the math on that by the end of the week seven day stretch you've gained 18 19 minutes of daylight and that's for one week. And you keep right. adding that up. So we're really in a, in a rapid increase in the, in the amount of uh, solar insulation right now. Mr. Dombeck sends out a thing called watch those normals. That's one of our favorite <laughs> things this time of year, because, I mean, uh, you know, you got to be careful 
Uh, we've seen that already things, you know, and, and it really is about where the warm air or the cold air, it, where the air is evicting from, if, you know, this time of year in terms of these temperature swings. All good things to talk about, my friend. Take care. Enjoy this nice little relaxation that I'm enjoying here, too, with the weather pattern. Yes. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> also, enormous thanks to Shelton Johnson and Monica Danielle for joining us in that opening first race of focus segment and to our friends from Batteries Plus, Sarah Lambert and Curtis Hill. For Dave Dombeck and myself and for all of the wonderful team members here at AccuWeather.com that work so hard and have been working really hard over the last several weeks to keep you weatherproofed. For our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb and all of us here at AccuWeather.com's Everything Under the Sun, have a great week. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week. Episode 13 for the winter series of Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com.